Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM, Fight Nation, channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Mark Henry and I check a name off the Busted Open interview bucket list. Today you'll hear from one of the legends of the business and a guy who doesn't speak in this setting often, WWE Hall of Famer Michael P.S. Hayes. Plus, we discuss the sudden departure from the WWE of producer and former wrestler Dean Malenko and the latest on Sasha Banks and Luke. Harper. We do have some news, Mark, coming out of the WWE, and that is, and this is being reported on multiple sites. Now, the reasons why are unclear, but we do know for sure Dean Malenko, again, a huge superstar in the world of pro wrestling. He's yep. been a producer for the company for eight years. He's been with the WWE since 2000. Of course, everything he did as a pro wrestler as well outside of the WWE. But Dean Malenko is now gone, Mark, from the WWE. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said, clarified that because it could have been misconstrued. Uh, Dean is one of my favorites. He is one of the funniest human beings ever born. I mean, you talk about a funny guy, man. He should have he done comedy. He really should have. And uh, he had, he's got those kind of chops. And um, I wish him well. I hope that uh, everything that is uh, going on in his life right now is, is positive. I know he's had some, some health issues and different things, and hopefully that's not something that's playing a part in this. Yeah, and, and again, I'm just, I'm just guessing here because there's a lot of reports saying that he quit. There's some reports saying he might have gotten fired. All we know for sure is Dean Malenko, and it's been confirmed that Dean Malenko is now gone from the WWE, Mark. And you mentioned health issues. He's had health issues. You know, he's had, uh, you know, he's had a heart attack. He's had health issues in the past. Didn't slow him down, though. I mean, the guy is a workhorse with yep. the company. Um, but... You couple this with a lot of the things that we've seen. Most recently, Mark, we talked about it with Arn Anderson exiting the WWE as you know as an agent. It seems like there is definitely a changing of the guard when it comes to the WWE. And just like I said with uh, talent, um, about every 15 years, there's this cleansing, just this um, um, revitalization of the talent. And I think it's the same way with um, with the office. Like you have to, especially uh, from a producer standpoint, um, stuff will start to recycle. And then after it's recycled a few times, then you start trying to get new ideas. And I think that's that's where the company is is headed. There, uh, you got a lot of young talent, a lot of people that haven't been exposed to 
being on the, in the limelight and being on the mainstream. And now um, you got all these young, fresh producers coming in and uh, give them a chance to get their two cents in. And I understand what you're saying. I just I get worried as a fan because we know like what a D Malenko can do, what an Arn Anderson can do. You know, their ties to that old school wrestling that, you know, I fell in love with and it's hard for a fan, especially at my age, to let and to see guys like that go, Mark. But what you're saying does make sense. That sometimes you need to make change, you need to get younger. There now there now is you know, the WWE for for years, we're, we're kind of out there on their own as far as like not really having competition. And now you're hearing a lot about AEW and big money companies and events happening and events happening, you know, at a sold out Madison Square Garden that doesn't uh, center around the WWE. Um, you have to evolve with the times. And I, I and you I do. guess in a, in a sense, you do have to get younger in the way you in the way that you think in, in fresh thinking like I, I, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't condone like discarding, but I don't think that, uh, the guys that are leaving now look at it like that. I think they, they understand the business. And, um, if it's a case where you have to get, you want to get newer, you want to get younger, at least, um, let it be somebody that's respected. And I think that they're high and respectable people. So, uh, you won't find guys going wild for that guy. You know that kind of thing. So let's let's just hope that's the case. And I don't know Dean Malenko at all. Um, I've never interviewed Dean Malenko. And obviously, with the with the um, the title he held with the WWE, it's hard to get a sit down with somebody by, like Dean Malenko. And you have obviously very high th- praise for somebody like Dean Malenko. And you seem to be the norm. I don't think I've ever heard anybody have anything negative to say about Dean Malenko? No, he's, he's a he's a very, very uh, knowledgeable guy. He comes from, he's second generation and was a very highly regarded wrestler. Like, Dean Malenko is not like a guy that was like the middle of the road mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, wrestling talent. I mean, the man of a thousand holds is uh, the only person I can think of that was kind of revered in that way, um, in the last, well, I guess you can't say Judo Gene LaBelle, you know, like he's he's in that, that kind of category. Like he did stuff that was innovative and it was real and he made it entertaining. And that's, it's a difference. Gene LaBelle and, and Dean Malenko are guys that you can say that about. There's not many other guys you can say that. Yeah. So Dean Malenko, from everything we're hearing from all reports, is now gone from the WWE. And Mark mentioned a changing of the guard. And for a first time on a Falls Count Anywhere Friday, let's go out to the Busted Open Nation. And let's go out to Seth in Houston that wants to talk about Dean and also the changing of the guard. And, and uh, Seth, what did you want to say about Dean Malenko? Hey, gentlemen, thanks for uh, taking my call. First time caller, long time listener. You guys are doing an amazing job. Thanks, Seth. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Mark, I uh, love everything that you've done that in, in WWE from the beginning to the end. One heck of a career. You just certainly deserve that Hall of Fame. And, and I love, love the Hall of Pain. Everybody loved it. Um, but as far as Dean Malenko goes, he is quite possibly, you have to put him in a top 10 at least 
of technical wrestlers just from the psychology of what he would do. And his gimmick was legit, the man of a thousand holes. This guy, when he was back in the WCW, this guy would just tie people up in pretzel knots and you'd just be like, where is he getting these moves from? He was amazing. I think if he was a little taller when he went to WWE, I think maybe he possibly could have got a little push, you know, advancing him like the big, the big guys. But if he were younger in today's thing, you know, in today's era, and this goes to the you got to, you know, the change in the guard and having fresh young guys, if Dean Malenko would have came out in today's era, he would ha- absolutely be at the top of the card. He was basically Daniel Bryan without the aerial assault that Daniel Bryan had before Daniel Bryan got there. This guy was amazing. Very good um, take. And as far as the I, – I understand what you're saying on the rejuvenation, how they have to kind of come in with a clean sweep. That I understand because, look, I'm, uh, I'm not saying I'm, I'm old as dirt, but I was also watching in the old WCW, uh, you know, championship wrestling days and then up to now with the new thing. You need some of that veteran minds in the background to come up with these finishes and to, 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 to help these younger guys. So I don't know if they need to actually do a clean house of everybody. You still need some of these older guys in there. Um, and it's a big loss for WWE. I hope Dean Malenko is, it's like you guys said, I hope it's not health related. Um, and, you know, maybe it's something else. I hope he didn't get pushed out because, man, he was one heck of a mind and a great, great, great wrestler from his time. And I really, you know, really wish him the best. And the, um, and the last thing I wanted to say, and I want to hear you guys take on it, I like the Kevin Owens turn. I think it was really hokey the way they did the whole Montreal with him getting those cheap pops. I just don't think that they let it stew enough. He changed too fast for me for that feud. I still think it will be a good feud, but I think they just kind of pushed too soon. I'd like to hear what you guys have to say about it. Well, Seth, thanks so much for the phone call, and there's a lot to consume from your phone call. Obviously, with Dean Malenko, we, we hold him to high regard. As far as the changing of the guard that Mark was talking about, and I think, Mark, you would agree, there needs to be a balance, and I yeah. think you and I think you said that you 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 need fresh faces, you need fresh minds, you need a fresh creative force, you know. Especially right now for the WWE, you can't be stale, but I think you do need a lot of that old guard as well to usher that new guard in. So I think at the end of the day, there needs to be a little bit of a balance. You you need a balance. You need somebody that's able to that's done that job to be able to mentor you and to uh, give you a sounding board, give you a place to bounce things, ideas off of. And, and an idea can start off one way, and with one interaction with somebody like Dean Malenko or Arn Anderson can make you look at stuff a whole different way, and you can actually fine-tune that idea and make it something that could be historical. So yeah. um, hopefully... Uh, they do keep a balance and actually have some consulting with the uh, guys that have gone on and, and nobody's left completely uh, out of a job or out in the cold, if you will. Yeah, and uh, you're mentioning people from behind the scenes. And before I get to that, I do want to get to his Kevin Owens point. And he mentioned that he, th- he was surprised that they had the change and the turn so quick. I was a little surprised about that as well. I had a conversation with Alex Metz the next day after it had happened. I was like, 
man, I thought that was go on at least another two or three weeks. But as we know, the middle of May, we have money in the bank. So obviously their direction is to get Kevin Owens in the ring with Kofi Kingston for that WWE championship. And having those monthly pay-per-views, they got to go with the stories and set a tone. And I think that's a big reason why after only one week of being in the New Day, they had to make that change. So it's going to be interesting to see if we do get that matchup official for Money in the Bank on May the 17th. The Busted Open Podcast. There's two people in particular that might not be happy in their workplace, and that's Sasha Banks and Luke Harper. No. Luke Harper asked for his release. He's not being granted his release. And as a matter of fact, they're going to be adding six months to his con- contract due to timeout when he had his wrist injury. And then there's still the ongoing saga with Sasha Banks. And it's it's incredible now with social media because she sends out a tweet of just a heart. And people are like saying, well, she's referring to Bret Hart and the Montreal screw job. It's like, whoa, like how we read in sometimes into social media. But obviously Sasha Banks not on TV, taking some time off, I guess, making her mind up of what her future is going to be. So, Mark, I ask you, we're seeing changes in the back, and obviously there's talent that may not be happy. We had Dean Ambrose obviously not sign a new deal with the WWE. Like, what's your take on what's going on with Luke and Sasha right now? You know what? Uh, Just the business is different. Um not saying that their cases are not justified in, in their feelings, but um, I remember a time when we were trained, and this goes from Dr. Tom, who was my first coach, to Leo Burke and Rip Rogers and Danny Davis. They were like, look, guys, this is not going to be a all-the-time happy-go-lucky business. Like you are going to have to learn to eat crap and like it and wait and wait and wait. And when you can master that, then you work like it and then everything will come to you in the end because everything comes in cycles. You just hope that you're healthy and you stay on top of your game. I, I practiced that. I lived that. And I understood that it wasn't going to always be about Mark Henry. That, you know, sometimes Mark Henry's going to have to work for Big Show. Mark Henry's going to have to work for Daniel Bryan, Batista, and the list goes on. And there were times that I had lulls in my career. And that happens to everybody. I mean, it's, it's just this this new generation uh, that says, you know, I want it now, uh, I think is a part of it. But... If you make promises, it's like a little kid. If you tell a little kid, hey, you do good, we're going to go get ice cream. You better take them to get ice cream because they're not going to forget it. And I think that that may be a, a thing with Sasha and Luke and the list goes on to people, Dean and uh, everybody on the roster. 
Like, you can't make promises and not keep them. Otherwise, people are going to lose faith. See, that's incredible what you just said on both sides. Because, Mark, you mentioned about how, hey, old school thinking, hey, you ride out your deal. I mean, not every time you're going to be the champion, not every time you're going to be in the main event. Your time will come, and who knows, even after your time comes, you might be knocked down the ladder and you got to work your way up. I mean, that's the way of the world when it comes to pro wrestling. But you also said something that I think is extremely significant, Mark, and the fact that if you're going to promise something, you better fulfill that promise. So I don't know which one is going on here. If Is it a case of Sasha Banks saying, you know, having a little bit of a pity party because she was a champion and now she's not? Or what a lot of people think is, hey, they were supposed to have a long championship run, her and Bailey. They were supposed to make those titles significant, and they drop them at WrestleMania 35 to the Iconics. Or could it possibly be, Mark, a mixture of the two things? I, I think it could be more of a mixture, Dave. I think that um, you have you have a uh, you can have a group of girls that are so ready to do exactly what they feel is necessary, and they don't get the opportunity to do that. And they were told that they were going to get to do that, and they were working like they were going to get to do it, and they didn't get to. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating. And I understand that. I've been there. Um, but I still believe in my heart of hearts that you just wait it out and, um, given the opportunity, they will be able to get the job done and show the company why they should have honored how they thought they were supposed to be perceived. See, I I like what you're saying here. And the fact that you're going to show by, by playing ball and being a company employee like Dean did yeah like Dean he waited he did what he needed to do he waited till his contract was over and then you know what he made the decision he's not going to resign but he played out his contract we see that in sports all the time you know hey it's a little bit or is it different you know we see it in the NFL where players hold out for either a more money or or a different clause in their contract. A lot of time we see in pro sports, Mark, you know, a player not fulfill his contract and hold out. I mean, one of our favorite players as a Cowboy, Emmett Smith, is a perfect example. He held out of training camp back in 1993 because he didn't like the deal he had. But that was the that was the contract he signed, and he I think he signed that deal. He signed that deal, but he. He sat out, felt he deserved more, and he got more. So it, it it really is a slippery slope when you look at the landscape of what's going on here. Yeah, I, I think the biggest issue is hurt feelings. The the way that it's coming across to me is uh, is the, like the analogy that I use with the kid getting ice cream. Mm-hmm. It sounds like Sasha was almost promised that this is what we're going to do with you. And then they just went 100% the other way. And on top of that, you break up the group that held the titles. Yeah. And they didn't even get to get the titles back. So, I mean, and and who you lose them to, which we, we said before, that it wouldn't hurt to have the Iconics win because the next day on the biggest show of them all, you could just have them come out and hand the Iconics their rear ends and you get the titles back. That didn't happen. 
So it's like I can see the frustration. I've been there. See, Mark, now you're taking it into another direction that I completely agree with as well. Because you talk about the Iconics, and I love the Iconics. They're highly entertaining. You have the Iconics win in a shocker at WrestleMania 35. But then all you've done with the Iconics since they won those titles is have them lose. They lost a non-title match on TV, and individually each one of those team members of the Iconics has lost in singles competition. And I'm talking brutally lose. I'm talking losing in, in 60 seconds. So now what you've done is not only have you had those titles dropped into a team that are more a little bit more entertainment than wrestling, but you haven't even elevated the team. You All you've had is have them lose on TV, Mark. So now those titles don't mean anything. Seriously, right now, and we're just a few weeks removed from WrestleMania 35, what do those tag titles really mean when the people who are holding those titles lose week in and week out on TV. You know what, Dave? You're, you have a point taken. I, I get it. And I think that uh, people should be clamoring for the right to make those titles mean something. And who is that going to be? Rather than dwell on the negative side of it, who's going to step up and go, you know what, I want those titles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know because – we haven't really seen anything more when it comes to what we've seen on TV is that the story seems to be getting away from the Iconics because how can you build a story around the Iconics when all they do is lose week in and week out? So in that respect, I can understand some of Sasha Banks' frustration. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 or on demand with the Sirius XM app. Hall of Famer, the legendary, Michael P.S. Hayes. Sir, how are you today? I, I'm doing great. If I got any better, it'd be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I, I, this is Mark Henry. I'm just letting you know that I'm, I'm going to tell the story about when I first got to uh, Titan Towers, um, you were Doc Hendricks. And right. your hair was, you know, short, and you started growing your hair back out, probably about '96. And I remember the first time I met you, I was like, "Man, this, this Doc Hendricks guy—he looked familiar," but I just <laughs> can't put my finger on where I know him from. And so it was probably your about face when the light bulb went off. Was off. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so he walks down the hallway. And Dr. Dr. Tom says, uh, hey, man, you should pick Doc Hendricks' brain about, you know, uh, about wrestling. Just, you know, ask some questions. And I was like, Doc Hendricks, man, I, this name, I just don't, uh, it's not ringing a bell. So I said, listen, Doc, um, you, you look real familiar. Like, wh- where do I know you from? And he said, Come on, you don't you don't know who I am? And I went, Nah, I'm sorry. And he takes his baseball cap off and he pulls his ponytail out and then he goes straight into Michael P.S. mode. He's like, Come on now, you tell me you don't know who I am. And I went, Oh shit, Michael Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And he started dancing and being Michael Hayes, bro. It was like my own personal markout moment. Like it was it was unbelievable. 
And he just he just stood there laughing at me. He was, and he told that story like two or three times. So I figured I had to let it go. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it's interesting about the Doc Hendricks character. I, I think it's no secret that it wasn't like one of my favorite things to do. But, however, it was probably one of the most important things that I ever did because, A, it humbled me, and, B, it made me uh, learn the television industry in a whole different way. It was almost like going to, to college, to, uh, to school. And so many things I learned there I've been able to apply since then. So you never know what God's got in store for you. You just, uh, just keep riding the train and hope it don't hit nothing. Hope it lands at the right stop. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. Oh, man. And I think that's one thing that you've proved your entire career is that you've been able to change and you've been able to adapt. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but summer of 1987, I'm I'm rocking out to off the streets. I mean, your version of Boys Are Back in Town is still one of my favorites. And I think that showed how talented you were. And I'm sure that had to be humbling for a, a personality and a character that you developed over decades to have to change that. I mean, that had to be humbling. Yeah, it, it was. And, um, you know, it was, a, it, it was a growth period. It didn't seem like that at first. I had actually cut my hair quite a bit when I went up there to uh, start commentating with Vince. And as soon as I got there... Um, I saw Vince pull Bruce aside, and then Bruce pulls me aside and goes, um, he wants you to cut your hair. I said, oh, really? Okay. I said, I already cut like four inches off of it. And he goes, yeah, no, he really wants it cut. And then they made a whole production about it. But, you know, it's just one of those things you, you make a decision to do. You know, at, at 35, should my career have been over? Probably not. But at the same time, after I had back surgery a, a year or so before, I was never the same. And it certainly wasn't the same without Terry and Buddy. Um, and, you know, I knew that I couldn't have a ring career all my life. Uh, but I did feel like I would be in this business all my life. So you just have to kind of uh, migrate and, and, mo- and motivate yourself to keep going. And, and it, luckily it worked out for me. Um, funny thing about the Off the Streets album, and specifically – the cover of the boys are back in town. A lot of that credit has to go to Ricky Medlock, who is now the lead guitar for Leonard Skinner, because uh, he helped produce that album. And uh, we had another really good guy on bass, Ricky Phillips from the Babies and and Bad English. But R- Ricky added that whole new rift and lick to it that gave it uh, a different, you know, kind of a unique sound from the original Thin Lizzy version. You know, it's 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 an amazing album, and like I said, that cover of that song is still the one that I listen to more than any other version. And I think you really started it because obviously, even before that album, what you guys did, you know, the Freebirds coming to the ring uh, with Freebird, that to me was really the start of that rock and wrestling connection. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, you know, did somebody play music before we did? Yeah, Gorgeous George did. Um, you know, did people use it sporadically? Yeah, but I think we were the first to, to use it every night once we, you know, once we finally talked the promoter into it. First promoter, and I've said this a million times, he asked us, we said we want to play this song in Twirl Spotlights when we come out, and he asked his associate, he said, are they on them marijuana pills? On <laughs> <laughs> the pills. And I looked at Terry Cordy, and I started laughing, and I said, uh, no, we're not, but if you find any, 
<laughs> in pill form, that would be very good. Thank you, sir. You know, just take away the whole smoking part of it. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Mike, I, I, I want to let you know that the first time that I ever heard my grandmother cuss, and this is the the original church lady with the hat every Sunday, sit in the <laughs> front two pews, that lady. The uh -oh. first time that I ever heard her cuss, uh, we were at the Beaumont Civic Center, and you came out, and she was like, I just hate that bastard. And I <laughs> turned and looked at her, and I was like, holy shit. Like, Granny just cussed. And, you know, it's uh, funny. That's what my mother says, too. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, man, like, uh, you were, man, like, growing up, I would have never thought, and I just said this early in the show, I would have never thought that I would be here today being able to talk to people that I grew up watching and that I was a fan of, and it, it was just, it was unbelievable, the, the, the thought of hearing my grandmother cuss at eight, nine years old, and then to come up to uh, now and... You know, I'm like, man, I, I know Michael Hayes. Like, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, it's been said many times that the free birds can make a preacher cuss. Um, <laughs> it's a lot different business now. You don't you, you don't have people that uh, that acquired that kind of heat and that kind of raw emotion from people. Um, for their, uh, you know, their adversaries or your adversaries that they truly love and, you know, live every minute of their life with, um, you know, it's, it's just not that way. And, and quite frankly, if it was that way, the business wouldn't be doing as well as, as it is now. You know, people should not have to worry about going to a show and a riot breaking out because that happened a lot uh, back in the early and mid-'80s when we had our run with Junkyard Dog and the Von Ericks. I mean sometimes you just be fighting for your life and that's just not a great environment to, hey, let's go to uh, the wrestling and get in a riot. <laughs> that doesn't sound appealing. That, yeah. that's, what, that's what I was going to ask you about. I was going to ask you about uh, the feuds with the Freebirds, I mean, with, with the uh, Von Erich family. Like, it, did it ever get to a point with the crowd, with the fans, that y'all had to, like, you know, like fight your way through fans and try to get out of there without being harmed or injured? Well, yeah. I mean, there, there was times that, uh, you know, I, a number of riots that, you know, you if you got your ass whooped, that was a win. So, I mean, as long as you made it back to the dressing room, it didn't matter what happened. Um, and, you know, when we did the angle with Junkyard Dog and the blinding uh, in Lake Charles, it got so bad that um, – they had undercover cops in the audience because people would take these water pistols and put, like, liquid plumber in it Jeez. and shoot it in our eyes on the way to and from the ring. And one time it just broke out real bad, and all of a sudden I seen Buddy running, and he was holding his eyes, and I thought somebody had cut him. 
And bless his heart, he's running as hard as he can toward the direction of the dressing room. And all they had was like this little piece of cow rope that was like, you know, that signified you couldn't go any further if you were a fan. And damn, if, if he didn't just run right into that bitch and, and clothesline his ass to death. But it took 30 minutes to rinse in his eyes out till he got his eyesight Jeez, back. Jeez, that's unbelievable. And, and at the time, we would have to go to the sheriff's office and park our cars, and they would then put us in a car, a squad car, and pull it into the arena parallel to our dressing room door. It was that bad. And the last night that we were there, uh, they had undercover cops, and they caught a guy bragging he was going to shoot us uh, in the bathroom. They checked him out. He had a Saturday night special with bullets engraved freebirds. Are you serious? Swear to God. So needless to say, we bought those cops a, a whole case of Jack Daniels. We made good friends with them. Some of them ended up getting like third-degree burns from the uh, liquid plumber and stuff. Dear it was, God. It was a horrendous situation. It really, they, they loved their wrestling in Lake Charles. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they definitely took it serious. And, and, and listen, you mentioned the feud with the Von Erics, and, and everybody remembers you, of course, with the Freebirds. On Tuesday was, was the birth date uh, of Terry Gordy, one of the, the great legendary wrestlers of our time. And, you know, can you give us a few moments just to, to reminisce a little bit about, you know, the great Terry Gordy? Because especially our younger fans that are listening who may not know him, I, I think coming from you, they, to just share a few memories and a few words. Well, I mean, I had always heard about Terry um, from Athlan Sika, who helped me get going, um, along with uh, Mike, the California hippie boyette down the Gulf Coast and, you know, like Pensacola Mobile area, uh, because they told me about this 13-year-old that was wrestling and was really good, um, and he was wrestling, I think, a little bit up in the Carolinas and Tennessee, and lo and behold, that person turned out to be Terry Gordy, who was now... Uh, wrestling in Mississippi. He was actually 16 at the time then, and he was their champion. And he was probably the best worker on, on the roster. And he was just, you know, Jimmy Garvin said it best, I think, that Terry Gordy was God's gift to wrestling. He just was born to be a wrestler. He, was, he had amazing speed and agility for his size. He loved the business. Um, he lived and breathed it, and you know we just kind of hooked it up because we were just two teenagers in a man's world. And I told him one day, I said, "I, I know you're going to make it. There's no doubt you're going to make it." I said, "But I'm going to make it too." And I said, uh, "I'll bet if we hook up, we will be able to make it there quicker." And uh, and he bought that, and 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 we did. But um, you know, I miss him every day. Um, but I'm proud for the times I had with him. You know, you can either wallow in self-pity or, 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 you know, grief or, or whatever. I mean, it's been a while since Terry passed away, but, man, I was so blessed to have those times with those guys and realize my dreams. Um, I just wouldn't trade that for anything. Uh, you know, once again, it was a lot different business, mm -hmm. but, uh, but Terry could bring it, man. And um, he really, when I first met him, he couldn't cut a promo to save his life. Uh, eventually, though, that changed uh, drastically, and he, uh, you know, ended up being one of the best promo guys uh, in the business at that time too. But um, it it was a lot of fun. I, I got to tell you, did, did we have our ups and downs? Sure, we did. Everybody does. Um, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. But there was uh, 
way more good than bad. I'm sure. And then with world class and 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 Georgia and mid south and. One of my favorite times of your career is actually when you were commentating with UWF with Jim Ross. Uh, any memories of that time with Jim Ross with the UWF when you were commentating? Well, to be quite honest, I hardly remember the 80s at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> that means you had some, some good times. Some instances, yes. Uh, no, that just kind of happened, and uh, it turned out a lot better than I think any of us thought it was going to be um, because it's it's a little different when you're an active, uh, you know, heel on the roster to still try to give somewhat of an insight to the mindset of the competitors and why they may be doing something or why maybe they shouldn't be doing something, but still keep the integrity of, you know, being an asshole, um, which was easy for me, but <laughs> it was still challenging. And, and Jim Ross and I had really, really good chemistry. And God dog, what a roster we had. That UWF roster yep. at... I'll tell you, it could have rivaled any roster at any time. You had so many great stars. And and, and all of it eventually came up to WWF at the time and now WWE and uh, and became even bigger stars. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and, And even when you look at that entire period, you know, and a lot of our younger fans don't know or maybe understand that territory system that, you know, because there wasn't that national exposure, you could move from territory to territory and never get stale, never be you know too much in front of the fans, and that's something that's difficult today. So you got to give a lot of credit to to the to the superstars today because they're on TV each and every week. I mean, that's got to be extremely difficult to do. Yeah, well, you know, that's why they get paid well. That's um, true. But, you know, the territorial system was uh, was very unique. It was, I'd say, advantaged wrestler. And the reason I'd say that is because, at least for us, um, like if we didn't like what was going on or didn't like the direction, or all we had to do is give a two-week notice and we were gone somewhere else. Um, and it, it gave you a lot of options. Um, it also allowed you to, you know, take your craft and improve it, hopefully each and every time, because um, sometimes you could save certain angles and certain ideas, and to your point, because there wasn't crossover television, you, you could do another version or, or the exact same version of that probably with another talent and watch it work. Um, so there was a lot more places to go, but, you know, I don't think um, the 80s wrestler fits in today's scheme at all. Michael, it, it I, it, it, The business is so much uh, more improved and, and, and better people are in it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I say that from personal experience on both sides. Michael, the wrestler never gets to always say, you know what, I I made my mark in the business. And uh, we know that, you know, you bringing music to wrestling was a big deal. And we know that, you know, the flamboyance and um, the, the energy rock and roll type of energy that you brought to the wrestling business were innovative. Is there something that you never got credit for that you feel like you were responsible for, or you had a big, big hand in that you gave the business? Well, I I feel like if you really know this business, then you do know that. And, and, and if you don't, if you look at it from the peripheral or just from the, you know, far outside looking in, 
I can see why people would think that the Rock and Wrestling Connection didn't start until Vincent Hogan and Cindy Lauper and, and, and all that, which um, actually I had a part of, but kind of screwed that up. <laughs> but anyway, I could see why some people would think that. But, you know, by that time, Vince had uh, figured out a way to do it even on a bigger scale than what we started with. I mean, because like I said, when we first started it, 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 it was it was a chore to get people to go for it um, because they didn't understand it. And, and, you know, I started putting up the ring when I was young, and I would go to the concerts, you know, in town, and I would go to the wrestling, and I'd see a lot of the same audience. And I always knew, I said, man, they need to upgrade this and make this fun and, and more young. And, uh, you know, that, that that's what we did. Um, I'll never forget when we went to Bill Watts' for the first time, he asked me. He said, "Do you have uh, do do you have that record?" And I said, "Yeah, I got that record." And he said, "Well, give it to me." And I go, "Okay." I said, "What are you going to do with it?" He says, "I'm going to make a card of it so we can play it when you come on TV today." And I went, "Oh my God! I never thought about playing it on TV." Wow! <laughs> I was so mad at myself. I just, <laughs> I really was. I felt you know truly stupid because. I thought it was such an accomplishment to, uh, you know, to talk a promoter into letting you play it at a live event, uh, you know, at a house show. Uh, never crossed my mind. Hey, yeah, wh- instead of playing it to thousands, why don't you play it to friggin' millions, Michael? Um, but as I say, that's where the story got started. Um, funny thing was, as a turn junkyard dog at Christmas time and started teaming him with Buck Robley. Then they started playing uh, Bad Bad Leroy Brown by Jim Croce. And then that just caught on like wildfire. Like, I got to tell you, Junkyard Dog in those Louisiana days, he was as hot as anybody I've ever seen at any time in that area. But then uh, other guys started, you know, using, you know, songs that were hot that were out at the time. And I went, God, dog, we've got to get to Georgia Championship Wrestling and get the Freebird music on first. We've got to be the first ones to do this. Otherwise, somebody else is going to get credit for it. And uh, luckily enough, we, we did get there first. And still, it doesn't matter. Some people don't give us the credit for it. But if you know, you know. And, and you know, I know. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like somebody said one time, they go, well, why don't you write a book? And I said, well, wh- why do I need to write a book? I know the stories. you know and and as you're as you're saying this i'm getting chills because like i'm i'm remembering watching you know world-class championship wrestling and the Freebirds coming to the ring with Freebird, and you know kevin von eric coming to the ring with stranglehold and carrie von eric coming to the ring with tom sawyer i mean like the, the music was so such a big part and it is now obviously with original music but because of what you're talking about and especially some of those storylines at the time music was such a big part of what was going on in the ring yeah and, and you know world class was ahead of the curve on that um like some of the videos like right before we got there i i've seen this video of carrie riding a horse to uh the uh Oh, I think Hogan first used the song, too, uh, Survivor. Um, I had a tiger. I had a tiger, thank you. I'm glad you said it because I was lost. Um, but, you know, it, it was an amazing video and, and making music videos. I mean, a music video can get a character over so much more than just a match. Um, but, you, you know, we, we did that. And as you said, Ben Talent kept using these popular songs, and sooner or later you knew what was going to happen. Somebody's going to say, wait a minute. 
I want my money. You're using my yeah. song on TV. Give me my money. And um, that's what the, you know, the motivation was to to write our own theme song, which I, I did with Jimmy Papa and Larry Velez uh, there in Dallas. And um, I had been wanting to do that since we'd been in Memphis because I saw, I, you know, I stole a lot of stuff, man. I, I, I have no shame. I don't mind saying that I stole Bad Street from Leroy Brown. He used it on a promo one time, and I went, damn, that was good. <laughs> and, and, you know, he just said, and we lived in the last house on the right. And I said, well, I ain't going down that street. And then I never heard of music again. I said, well, I, I hate it for you, but it's mine now, daddy. It's going to be mine. Um... <laughs> you know, uh, handsome Jimmy Valiant when he was in uh, Memphis, you could argue that he was as over as Lawler and Dundee, if not more so. And even though they would try to hold him down, um, but you know, Jimmy would be out there dancing around with the long blonde hair and the dark beard. That's where I got that idea from. So you know, I, I'd been wanting to do that, and me and Jimmy Hart had talked about it for a while. But the you know, the original song and theme music didn't it didn't materialize until I met Jimmy Papa in Dallas and uh and like I said we got together with Larry Belez and uh we made our own thing. Well you know that uh, thievery is the greatest form of flattery. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I have, telling you, I, have no I problem, stole too. Uh, saying I stole that from somebody because you know, if you think you can make it work better than they did, but you know, power bitch. Hey, everybody did a headlock at one time or another. <laughs> That's for sure. True, and then Mar- and Mark and I are still singing Bad Street USA. You know, thirty-two years after it was released. No, Dave is singing oh, Bad oh, Street. Okay. Like I, I'm, I, I want you to hear. No, don't do Dave. this. No, I, I watched a clip about uh, four to six weeks ago. Did you see it? Yeah, I posted the the videos and I he saw it. And you cannot honestly, with a straight face, Dave, call that singing. <laughs> 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 yeah, you sound like I could sing. <laughs> All I can hear is the 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 effort was there, Mr. Hayes. The effort was there. This this has been absolutely tremendous. I know you're a busy man, but to be able to have you here uh, a first time on this show, and and this is definitely a conversation that I've been wanting to have for a long time. And and Mark. You know, being a part of this and Mark making this happen, it, it's truly been an honor having you on the show, sir. Well, thanks. It's been a blast for me, too. Um, and hopefully this is not the last time. I don't because... think this will be the last time. And, 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 you know, sometimes it's fun for me to go down uh, memory lane because, quite frankly, there I was so fortunate to have so many memories. Sometimes you forget some of them. And it's, it's good to, you know, bring them back and, and you know, Go down that road one more time. So I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, you'll notice that I didn't say doot, doot, doot one time. Um, <laughs> there's Not a reason once. for that because I never say doot, doot, doot. No, that I... Was something made up by Brian Gewertz and Bruce Pritchard. And boy, they've... Uh, well, Bruce and Conrad especially have made a uh, big deal about it. But... Um, it didn't come from me. No, and I get pissed off every time I hear them reference that, sir, just so you know. Okay, well, it's better to be pissed off than pissed off. There you go. All right. I appreciate that. Mr. Hayes, thank you so much for the time. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening. Catch us weekdays on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM, Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.